Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome back to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, uh, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Nathaniel Leach and Dan Weiss. And today we want to talk about market timing. Uh, we want to talk about market timing, obviously, within the stock market. But we also want to discuss a little bit about how it can be related to financial planning as well. And I think to start this podcast off, we're going to talk a little bit about some data. And what we've done is we've taken a slide from JP Morgan's Guide to the Markets. Uh, they update this on a monthly basis. And it's some really interesting stuff. So bear with me while I read through it. I know sometimes it can get a little boring when we talk about data, but I, we really do think it's important. So what we're looking at is performance of a $10,000 investment between the time frame January 3rd, 2000, and December 31st, 2019. So roughly 20 years. And if you were fully invested, meaning you did not get out of the market in that time frame, your return would have been 6.06% annualized. So year over year. If you just missed the best 10 trading days, your return would be 2.44%. And if you missed just the best 60 days, trading days, then your return would have been negative 7.02%. So again, over a 20 year time frame, if you were out of the market for 10 days, your return would have, you would have lost almost 4% annualized year over year just by not being in the market for those trading days. So, that's where we're going to start off with, and um, I'm going to kick this over to Nathaniel, and he's going to talk a little bit about that chart and maybe provide some thoughts from uh, the stock market perspective. So I just want to hit on that, that 10 trading days. So on a 4% annualized basis, uh, Tim, if you could tell me from that chart, uh, so for a $10,000 balance fully invested, that equals approximately, what, $32,000 you'd end up with over the 20-year time frame? But yes, you're correct, $32,421. Okay, and then for the the next best, the 10 trading days, how many dollars are, are there? What's the difference there? So you're looking at 16,180. Okay, so if you, so 10 trading days, so there's 252 trading days in one year. So over a period of 20 years, that's about 5,040 trading days total. So 10 trading days out of the 5,040 is equivalent to a little bit shy of 2% of all trading days. Wait. This is so sad. I'm sorry. 10 days is just shy of 0.2%. So that's just shy of 0.2% of all trading days. And you miss those 10 trading days and you are left with half, half of your money by not sticking it out for those 10 days. So. I, I'm I'm asking I'm and this is not rhetorical in any sense. Anybody who's listening to this, if you think that you could time yourself to just stay in the market and capture those ten best trading days and make out like a bandit, I dare you. I dare you to well, contact us and tell us that you did it. So to to kind of build off of that, within also the slide deck, it states. Six of the best 10 days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days. And the best day of 2015, which was August 26th, was only two days after the worst day 
August 24th. So, so I would, I'd be willing to bet that most people didn't have the cojones to be invested in those days because they were probably scared from the prior trading experience. And I think that's where, I think that Dan, you said that you had some interesting facts on that when it came to the most recent um, volatility in the market since the beginning of this year. Yeah, even more recent than that, it, there was an article that I was reading today. Um, the article is, is a uh, CNBC article um, that was written uh, or published, I should say, on, on Thursday, which would have been the last trading day of the week because of Good Friday last week. Article titled Stock Market Live Thursday Among Best Weeks in History, Dow and S&P 500 Jumped 12%. Thank the Fed. And I'll come back to that piece. But just to kind of give you the, the summary of, of what happened then just last week is last week, the S&P that week closed at a 12.1% gain, which would be the best week since 1974. And the Dow, the Dow, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had its seventh best week ever in the 135 years that that Dow, that that Dow has actually been, been around. Now that keep in mind that Dow is only 30 entities, right? Three, 30 businesses, but, um, but wow. Uh, you know, it, there was something else I read maybe a week or so ago too, that a quote that I thought was really interesting. I might butcher it a little bit here, but basically the quote was the, the bottom of the market is the day before things go up. Um, and I think there's some truth to it. And, and maybe this is a good time to talk about really the mindset and how this actually, how we see this not just inside the market, but other places too. The problem is, just like this article stated, who knew that the Fed was going to release such a package? What's interesting about all this data is a lot of this is obviously related to the stock market. Um, and a lot of people have asked us uh, in, in the recent weeks, you know, how do we take advantage? And we talked about that in one of our podcasts. And I think that, you know, and I'd love to get Nathaniel and Dan's thoughts on this as well, but I really do think it comes back to positioning. I know we sound like a broken record. We are the three guys that say the same thing probably over and over and over again, but it really does because you can't time the market. So when we're talking about investing in the stock market, you know, dollar cost averaging, statistically speaking, is the best route to go, which means making consistent contributions month over month or quarter after quarter, year after year, and you just grind it out and you take the ups and you take the downs. Um, but you have to be comfortable knowing that it's going to go up and down. And one way to feel comfortable with that is to make sure you have an emergency fund on hand, that it's not all your cash, that you are putting it in uh, inappropriately, that you haven't levered yourself to be able to be in the market, right? So it's positioning yourself to know that you can actually ride the market. It's, you know, I guess a good analogy would be is if you're going to go down a slide, would you go down naked and, and, and make sure that you slide down and you get stuck, right? Like that would hurt, that would burn. No, you'd put a shirt on, you'd make sure that you have whatever you can so you can go down the slide nice and smooth and hit those turns. The same thing with the stock market is you need to be prepared to know that it's going to be ups and downs and twists and, you know, going around in circles. So it's very interesting. And I think that, you know, and Dan, we talk about it a lot from a financial planning is it's not just the stock market now is what people are also asking us is where's the housing market going to be? You know, where can I take advantage of you know, buying a new house or doing a new remodel? Is it going to be depressed like 2008? You know, I was on a, a Zoom conference like everybody's doing these days um, with my extended family on my dad's side. And one of my cousins asked a very good question, a very valid question. He said, 
you know, he asked essentially, where do you think the Salt Lake City you know, real estate market is going to be in the next six to 12 months, given COVID-19 and the economic situation? And that's a, that's a fair point. Um, my answer to it is that I think when you really start looking at where is the real estate market going to be, I think in the United States, but really primarily where you, where you live, because I, I am a big believer that real estate is very hyper-localized, that you really need to know the streets, the neighborhoods, and prices can fluctuate depending on that. So it's hard for me to know, to be honest, where the Salt Lake market's going to be, because I don't live there. Um, I do have get information from family members, but outside of that, I'm not there day to day. The Madison market, yeah, I can probably have a little bit better of an understanding. Um, but I also would then ask, okay, well, you're, you're, ho you're thinking that the, the housing market's going to collapse like it was 2008. But 2008, the housing market was a very big problem from a credit perspective, which created you know, no liquidity within banks. And a lot of people defaulted in foreclosures because people were extremely over levered, had too much debt or had too many homes that they couldn't afford when those rates adjusted upwards, which was an arm, an adjustable rate mortgage. So it created a, a collapse within that market itself. Now, if you're looking at today, I don't wanna say this is a new economy or this isn't something different, but it's not the same situation, right? Yes, we may see housing become a problem because people are losing their jobs, which means they can't afford their mortgages, which means that they have to foreclose but they're not foreclosing because they're, they can't afford it and they still have income or they still have a job um, like it happened in 2008. So it's a little bit different. And the other point to that too is what the Fed has done is they've stepped in and said, okay, banks are allowing deferrals on mortgage payments in different capacities. You know, they've helped banks out to support mortgages specifically. And that didn't happen in 2008. There wasn't a bailout in that sector. There's a bailout for the banks but there was also just a lot of foreclosures because people couldn't afford it because the lending was so loose. That just hasn't happened. So to say that the housing market's going to collapse like it did in 2008, I think is a, is a hard comparison. Will there be some, some turmoil and some, some hardship there? Yeah. I just don't know that I see it being similar to where it was. And then my, my, but my overall point is, is like, that's the macro theory, which is great. You know, understandable. You can think about it in different ways. Someone could argue differently than me fine. But my argument to all of it is it really comes down to why are you buying the house? Are you buying it for the next five years, 10 years, 15 or 20 years? Because if you're going to go and buy this house and this house is going to be your primary residence and it's your dream home for the next 20 years, if you were to go pay a market price that was, let's say you had to go $20,000 over asking over that 20 years, it, that $20,000 really may not be such a big hit. Yes. Like someone could say, well, I didn't make as much money. That is true, but you also can't time the market. And if you can position yourself to then be able to take advantage of when those things do drop, that's the best thing. But it's very hard to time and people may get themselves into situations where they're like, oh, the housing market's really low. I'm going to buy and over leverage myself just because it's a good opportunity. But you may cause so many other issues on the other side of your plan that that house could make you become hurt down the road. So what we would always suggest for clients is preparing yourself to buy that house, saving up for it, knowing that you have stock options or other assets to back a purchase to make sure that you put 20% down um, and things in that nature to be able to support yourself. So it was a good question, but again, it goes back to, I don't know that I would ever try to time a collapse. Now, if you're in the position to take advantage of it at the time, more power to you, but that is really luck. That's not skill.
I'll jump in and, and say too that I, I think what it, but it really the 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 problem is that when if you decide to, whether it's from a planning standpoint or investment standpoint, decide to um, get out because you're uncomfortable with the situation, that may not be necessarily the hardest decision to make. But the hard decision then becomes is when do you get back in? So take a take a market uh, from an investment standpoint approach. Okay, so you sell today, for example. Great. When do you get back in? Because you're probably not going to buy when prices start going up, but you'll be worried about things like a double dip recession, which was a huge talking point coming out of 2008. Clearly, it did not happen, but it's always a talking point, I feel like, when we come out of a recession. So that's the complicated part. And then usually when people do eventually do it, which sometimes they just don't, uh, they've missed out on that game that we're talking about, those fast trading days. Um, from an investment standpoint, from a planning standpoint, same situation though. There are times and there are things that you can take advantage of from, from just an overall life situation. But if you wait too long to do it, which a lot of people will because fear is going to dictate it. It's what's led you out, out of that decision to begin with. You'll likely miss it. Which is a, it's, and which is a really good point. And Nathaniel, are you have any thoughts on trying to get back into a market after you've sold? Wouldn't have sold in the first place. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> well, the other saying. issue, too, is that I'm sure from Nathaniel's perspective is that it's not just, yeah, getting out is a decision that's easy to make from, um, from, a, from a, yes, I'm going to do this standpoint. But there are other ramifications that come with it, too. There could potentially be costs in making those trades. There's obviously opportunity costs in missing out on those trading days. There could be tax implications that could impact negatively as well. There's a lot of other factors that can really hurt you depending on, I mean, when, when Nathaniel, when he builds a portfolio, he's building that portfolio for a long-term uh, gain situation. And if we basically, if he were to hypothetically construct a portfolio and six months later sell, sell out of it, those gains are not going to be long-term, um, long-term gains. We're, we're going to be looking at short-term gains. So if a person has a portfolio that is not inside of a, a retirement vehicle, that's going to really hurt. And I think that's, you know, and I, my, my slide analogy may have been pretty poor, but my overall point there is that you have to understand what you're getting yourself into. You know, you don't go, uh, another analogy, I guess, right? The, the cliches is why would you ever go mount, you know, like rock climbing without a harness and a rope? You know, you have to understand the situation you're getting yourself into. And then once you can do that, then you can be able to have maybe the understanding that this is how it's going to be just like the stock market. It's a long-term investment and it doesn't matter if you're indexing or if you're an active manager, right? Everyone says it's time. It takes time and it reverts back to the mean, but that means you have to take the ups and the downs and it's very hard to know when those ups and downs are going to come. Like at COVID-19, no one thought that a virus, yes, I think Bill Gates in 2015 said the next biggest thing was going to be a virus. Well, I don't know if no one listened or no one was thinking about it, but it, other outside of that, who knew that that was going to create the the recession coming out of this long-term bull market? Anywho, this was a good podcast, guys. It is coming up on our our time to to end, so we're gonna throw it off with what we have learned. I'll begin. Market timing uh, really is not an investment concept; it's a speculation concept, and it's one that, for the most part, has not worked. And for anybody that thinks. In this case, for example, oh, we, you, you saw this coming. You know, I, I really disagree with, with the overall concept there. 
sure people knew that there were issues overseas with uh, with the coronavirus. And sure, it could come here. It's not the first time we've seen that, though. In the 90s, when we had the Ebola scare, that was, fortunately for Americans, contained to Africa. And so in, in that situation, could it could it have broke containment? Yeah, ab- absolutely it could have. So what you said, can you see that coming? Um, maybe, but the, the thing is, you don't know to what extent and what it's going to affect and for how long and who's really going to be exposed globally and who is not. I mean, so, so quote one more article that I had read, and this is an article from um, January of last year, written by Murray Coleman, and uh, he's an investment writer for Index Fund Advisors, and he throws a bunch of statistics out here. So this is interesting. So Ebola, um, which was in 20, 2014, not the 90s, I'm sorry, 2014, um, the six-month return in the S&P was 6.36%. For swine flu in 2009, six months following return, 20%. So following 12 12-month return there for swine flu, 38.78%. You just don't know what the actual impact is going to be and how people are going to react. There's no way to predict people, and so there's no way to be able to predict the market and how it's going to be influenced because it is influenced by people. I would end it with just going back to the, the, the statistics that Tim started us off with, just reiterating that you... It is impossible to find, to know in advance the 10 best trading days for any period of time. If you think that you can time the market by finding those best trading days and achieving a risk adjusted return, that is a lower risk return, you will have found the impossible because it is that it's impossible. Yeah, I would agree with you on that Nathaniel, for sure. Uh, I think the thing that I would take away from this, I'm going to put my financial planning hat on and I'm just going to reiterate that in order to take advantage of situations like COVID-19 back in 2008 um, and put yourself in position uh, to be able to take advantage of it comes down to planning and understanding that it takes time, discipline, and patience. Um, You know, if you read, uh, I can't remember who I is it Gladwell? I think Michael Gladwell, 10,000 hours to do something to master it and then to be able to take advantage of it. I mean, why would you, why would you think it'd be any different than when it comes to your own financial picture? You're going to grind in and grind out day after day, putting money into savings, thinking, why do I need this? Why is this here? You know, it, it reminds me of, of athletics when your coach is telling you that you have to do one extra sprint and two extra sprints. And you're like, well, this is so dumb. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden you're at you know fourth quarter and it's it's becomes that that's when that really kicks in. It's the same thing when it comes to to planning is that it it's monotonous, it's boring because it's not sexy, it's not fun. But at the times when these when times like this do come around, you're thankful for all the work you put in to be able to take advantage or just be able to sustain, um, which is which is a huge deal. So I don't know that you ever market time, but people who have who look like they market time. It's because they put in a lot of work and they just happen to take advantage of that time when it comes around, but they don't, they don't necessarily plan on it. They just know it will come here or there, but thanks guys. That was a good one. And uh, we thank all of our listeners listening to a couple guys talk about things they love and we will talk to you next time.
Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.